Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of L2M Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. We're here today with Margot Bloomstein. Margot is one of the leading voices in the content strategy industry. She's the author of a brand new book, Trustworthy, How the Smartest Brands Beat Cynicism and Bridge the Trust Gap. He's also written Content Strategy at Work, Real World, Real World Stories to Strengthen Every Interactive Project. She's the principal of Appropriate Inc., which is a brand and content strategy consultancy based in Boston. She's worked with marketing teams in a range of organizations over the past two decades. She created BrandSoft, a brand sorts out, rather. She developed a popular message architecture-driven approach to content strategy, and she teaches in the content strategy graduate program at a university in Austria and lectures around the world about brand-driven content strategy and designing for trust. So welcome, Margo. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be speaking with you. So brand new book, and you're talking about beating cynicism. Wow, it's 2021, and I think we are drowning in cynicism all over the place. Do you find that consumers are more cynical these days than in the past? And if so, how did we I, get here? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think consumers are, citizens are, and um, readers are, voters are, and and I don't think you can blame them. I don't think you can blame us because we're we're kind of in that boat too. Um, I think that we got here because it was kind of a convergence of a few different factors with what we see going on in social media and expertise and how those things sometimes work against each other, as well as different trends in the media and politics. And I think when we look just within the playing field of social media, of course, that's where so many of us kind of broker knowledge now and and find guidance oftentimes from our friends or, or quote-unquote people just like me when, when maybe you're evaluating like a restaurant or planning a vacation. Maybe that's more post-pandemic thinking. But um, even just kind of seeing what news is trending, you're, you're kind of turning to an algorithm for that. And, um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think we've seen how over the past decade – We've turned away from traditional sources of expertise, maybe maybe like the news anchors that you grew up listening to, right. and people have pulled inward more to say, well, what are my friends saying? What, what are other people just like me saying about these topics? And then as we became more aware of filter bubbles, people have pulled further inward to say, well, what do I think? Let me just go with my gut, and if it feels right, it probably is right. And that's um, that's kind of a an awkward place to to get your information if you're doing it in a society that has been increasingly hit by gaslighting from the media and from politicians and oftentimes those two are in alignment that are saying sure. don't trust other sources don't do your own research don't trust the evidence of your own senses just look to us we're a single source of truth and when that happens. Um, People don't know where to turn. They say, oh, all politicians lie. Everybody's out to get you. Everybody's out to make a buck. And that's when they grow cynical. They don't know who to trust. So they don't trust anyone. And that's not I don't blame them, and I can feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough because, you know, we all think we know what we know. And you're right. I mean, we if you get onto Facebook or some of these other social media platforms, they are filtering what you see based on what you're commenting on, and therefore it kind of reinforces itself. 
So how do we get past that? Um, what what do we do? Because we're, we're in this mess. I don't see social media going away. Uh, in the book, you talk about using the three Vs, voice, volume, and vulnerability to create trust. So talk to me a little bit about what you mean by that. Sure. So in Trustworthy, the, the framework that I've developed um, based on interviews with lots of CMOs and marketers as well as creative directors and writers and designers, um, the framework that I developed focuses on how we foster trust, how we reinvigorate the um, really the ability to trust and the, the interest in trust by empowering our audiences, empowering consumers um, or in B2B context, empowering the other person at the other end of the phone so that they can feel more confident in their knowledge as well as their ability to get knowledge and do research and then to make good decisions. Because I think when we get at that core of of so much business um, and so much engagement in the consumer sector, it's about how people make decisions and then feel good about the decisions that they make. So the framework that I developed focuses on that. And it focuses on, as you said, the three Vs, voice, volume of information, level of detail, and vulnerability, how we use vulnerability as a strength to pull our audiences closer and kind of make them lean into us. And in the first section, voice, I, I draw on examples from a pretty wide range of brands, including MailChimp and the FBI and Banana Republic. And look mm. at how they use voice as a consistent, familiar way to engage their audiences visually and verbally so that those audiences feel confident, so that they feel like, okay, I, I understand this organization. Maybe I understand the product roadmap. I feel like I know what I'm doing when I engage with them. Um, in the second section around voice, that's where I'm looking at, well, how much information do you need to share? Do you need to publish? How long should the blog post be? How much should you be writing? As well as how many images should be in the photo gallery? and How detailed should your diagrams be to, to foster that sense of confidence and trust? And it turns out there's no one right answer for that. I, drew I was going to ask you about that. Um, you know, is it, yeah. it's not just a formula, right? Yeah. Right, right. And, um, like, I sat down with the, the chief creative officer of um, America's Test Kitchen, Jack Bishop. We talked for a while about their approach because as a publishing brand, um, as a publishing institution, they're creating content for TV, for Twitter, for Instagram, for long-form copy in their magazine, um, in in a variety of different cookbooks that they publish every year. There's a lot of different content types there. They write a lot. They, they produce a lot of visual content. And they're kind of known for that. And it's because they want to make sure that they're meeting their audience where they are. Whether you're a novice cook or somebody that's way more skilled, you can find enough information on the platform of your choice to feel successful. And he believes, and as I write in the book, success breeds confidence. And when you feel more confident in your own skills, then you radiate that confidence back to the brand that, that helped you get there. In contrast, though, I also look at Gov.UK, um, the, the British government's approach to, um, to content, where they were producing content across 75,000 different web pages that they had to maintain. Wow. It was across nine different sites. Yeah, it was tough to engage with the government there and access government services. And they went through a process of saying, Maybe more content is not necessarily better content. How do we take the approach instead of saying, what can only government 
address, and let's just focus our content there. With that mindset, they reduce their content from 75,000 pages down to 3,000 in a much more easy-to-maintain, sustainable, canonical kind of website. And so I how do you go and, the, and I say once you when you've got that huge amount of information out there, how do you take it away? Because it almost seems like people want more, they want more, and they don't even know what they want, and then they've got it. Then how do you take that away without all the people those ever seventy thousand other pages saying, "I'm not getting mm-hmm. heard." It turns out it's um, it's usually like a a test that we can resolve through through user research by looking at how people are taking in that information and Ah. then what's the sentiment analysis around it. Are they saying, okay, I got what I needed and I'm done? Or do they get to the end of the page and click to find more? Do we give them any signals of saying, this is all the information that you need to complete this process? Do we give them any kind of additional messaging saying, you're done, go about your day. We got what we needed so you can proceed as well. And it's by offering those kind of cues that we know that our users, our audiences, can feel happy. It's another question, though, of our internal content creators happy, because oftentimes people say, hey, wait, you're cutting yeah, back on my, my thing. And my thing is <laughs> yeah. the most important stuff. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so right. I think that becomes another challenge to say, well, why are you creating content? Is it because you have something unique and specific and valuable to say, or just because you like blogging or, or you've always created that content. So we have to really well, take a hard look at what we're creating and why. I, you know, I found that, that in times, you know, I, I, I joke because, I, you know, in the computer industry would have someone who'd write a, you want to write a data sheet about, you know, the, the various plugs that you would use in various parts of the world because they were the plug manager. So it's almost like everybody else has a page and everybody else is doing it. I need to have one too. So it's a, it's a mindset that has to change to say this is not something we need to keep propagating and, and having more and more whatever. So I think you're absolutely right. Right. So talking right. about I vulnerability. Platforms too. Sorry. Yeah. Talking about vulnerability because vulnerability is, is, you know, do we really want to admit we're vulnerable? How does that help us? So I talk about um, vulnerability as a strength, how we embrace risk, take on risk in exchange for greater reward. So one of the examples that I write about is how um, how Penzi's Spices, they're a spice retailer based mm-hmm. in the Midwest. They make their values really visible. Uh, around 2016, uh, in the last presidential election cycle, they took to, to Twitter and Facebook to say, hmm, these are our politics, and, and they run counter to the politics that we're hearing right now coming out of the White House. And um, the CEO was very open and saying, we support immigration. We think that immigration is really the, the story of how we bring people together and also how we bring their recipes together. And he said, you know, let me get out ahead of anybody that might be saying, hey, spice merchant, stay in your lane, because this is our lane. Cooking is how people come together. And if you look at cooking in the United States, it really tells the story of human migration. When we look at so many of our family favorites, we're drawing on recipes that come from around the world. So we want to talk about what that means and how people coming from around the world can be valuable here and why why we do think it's important. And he got a lot of flack for that post. It was a vulnerable moment for the brand. He took a big risk there. A lot of headlines around it were saying, like, what, what's Penzi's doing here? Turns out they lost some customers 
but then they gained far more. And in fact, every time he took to Facebook or Twitter with any kind of political statement, they would see their sales spike. Year over year, the brand grew 50%. That's tremendous. And that's because they embraced that idea of vulnerability, saying, you know what? We're hearing more and more that consumers do want to know the, the political perspectives of the brands that they're choosing to support. So these I are, think you're absolutely right. Yeah, we've seen this with a number of companies. I think it was Nike that came out in support of Colin Kaepernick, um, and mm-hmm. people were not happy about that. But we've seen it, you know, across the spectrum. So people like to feel that. That brings me back to where politics and, and the change in administration, because certainly we see a different branding and a different approach with the Biden administration than we saw with the Trump administration. And one of the things that is striking as you're talking is I see Joe Biden not being afraid to be vulnerable, right? I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to do the best I can. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to tell you I'm perfect. I'm just going to try for you. Do you see that as, as part of a, a new way of branding? And how's that going to impact us going forward? I think um, the, the way you described it is accurate. It is part of a new way of branding. It is not necessarily the driving force of that new wave of branding. Uh, because I think that what the Biden administration is doing, and, and certainly what Joe Biden, the candidate, and now the president, is doing, is saying, yes, I am human. I make mistakes. Let me be transparent about that so that you can see my personal evolution because my transparency and growth sanctions yours. And we see that now in the White House from the top down where he's saying, you know, spend time with your family and it's okay if you're growing in your role. And if I hear anybody giving people flack about that, you're going to have to answer to me. That's Mm -hmm. a statement that he gave to everyone in the White House. And I think when we've seen now scenes from the Oval Office, a few weeks ago we saw he was um, signing an executive order. There was um, It was a pretty serious moment. Um, there was some, some fanfare around it. And in the middle of this, this signing moment, you started to hear the dogs bark in the background. You could hear <laughs> Major and Champ bark in the background. And things kept right on moving smoothly. Yep. And it was such an example of, well, here's somebody that's working from home. <laughs> a very nice home. But here's somebody working from home, as so many of us are, and he's bringing him his whole self to work. So what does that yep. look like? What does it look like when people bring their whole selves to work? And can we value it and say that, all right, that, that kind of vulnerability and humanity and care and consideration for others, maybe four-pawed friends as well, that's what it doesn't detract from how he does the job. It right. enriches his perspective on the job. And I think that in other organizations, we're also seeing how sharing openly in their personal evolution of saying, you know what, here's how our perspective has evolved on these different social issues. Here's how we're trying to do better. That's becoming more and more relevant. And I think more and more valuable when we tell the story of different organizations and give our audiences ways to um, identify with those organizations. Like you mentioned Nike. I think certainly in the in the context of Black Lives Matter over the summer and then over um, subsequent months, we've seen how so many companies have tried to wade into that discussion of saying, yes, we support this too. Yes. And now some of them have had to, to backpedal to say, we support this, but turns out, we're not doing a good job of saying Black Lives Matter in mm. terms of our hiring and how we diversify our board. 
people are calling us out on that. That is a point of vulnerability. And I think for some organizations, they might look at that, hear the criticism, and, and double down and say, no, we're diverse enough, or don't pay any attention to our board. And in other cases, I think the smarter organizations are saying, yeah, that is an area where we need to improve. Here's how we're going to continue to do it. Here's how you can hold us accountable. And I think that ability to apologize in the first person, to recognize the issue and see it as an opportunity for growth, and then to bring their audience, their stakeholders and shareholders and customers into that process of evolution, that's an opportunity to bring the audience closer so that their customers and everyone else can gain a greater sense of loyalty in seeing how they're continuing to evolve rather than just having the, the separate, distinct perspective of watching them from afar. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I love what you're saying, and I, I think this is all wonderful. But then I brought back to January 6th at the Capitol and this other side coming out mm -hmm. and, you know, the branding and pushing forward and this polarization that we see. So how can how can we move beyond that? I mean, how can we create something that's trustworthy when half the country doesn't believe the other side? When we talk about that rise in polarization, when we talk about people feeling disenfranchised, disconnected, or maybe just full of hate and anger, so much of that goes back to the rise in cynicism. They look around at the world and have lost trust in so many institutions. And now they're taking it on themselves to, to kind of figure out a new reality. Unfortunately, it's not based in a shared reality. And I think that there's an opportunity that as so many people have lost trust in institutions, for businesses to step into that void and say, all right, how do we build back better? Well, we can mm. help people gain more confidence and feel like they can make good decisions and not be so swayed by gaslighting. So I think it goes back to that, how we fight that. Not be so swayed by gaslighting, by instead helping them gain stronger footing in our shared reality of being able to look at the world around them and assess, are they getting information from from valid sources? Are they able to weigh different sources of information against each other to corroborate the truth? Can they do that kind of research? Can they feel confident then that they can make good decisions based on that research and confident that they don't need to have a single source of truth, but rather that they can continue to self-educate? Because I think when we hear about people going down rabbit holes around whether it is QAnon or just finding their information from a single cult-like source that demands complete blind faith, that's not healthy, that's not good, and it certainly right. undermines their abilities as citizens. It also undermines their ability to share in a common society and be active consumers in that society as well. So I think this is very much a problem that it may have started in the arena of politics and, and mass media, but it's something that undermines every single industry now. And that's why it's a problem for business. It's a problem for marketing as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So tell me, and we could talk about this all day because it's so fascinating, but we, we thought, I think a lot of us thought we get to the end of 2020 and we're through this, we're through the election and everything, we're done with 2020, 2021 is going to be better. Uh, this year is starting out, you know, we're, we're a month or so into it, and it's 
still not quite, you know, not quite the way we thought it would be. Um, when you're not sure you're in this kind of place of ambiguity and things aren't happening, what's your recommendation? How do you create messages that are appropriate to help people get through that? I think it's all about going back to that that point around vulnerability. Meet people where they are and be transparent about where you are and, and where your business is right now. And I think this is what we talk about when we use phrases like we're all in this together. Well, okay, well, what does that mean to all be in it together? I think this is about businesses speaking in the first person, not ignoring our shared reality of so many new constraints and challenges, whether it's around working from home or all of the upset that we see around schooling now or so many challenges in our economy. When businesses fail to acknowledge that or just kind of whitewash over it with with very anodyne messages around unity, they fail to recognize that people are hurting. And if we're we're all hurting, it's okay to acknowledge that and say, here's what we're going through too. We're wrestling with these issues, maybe questions around different social issues, wondering how we're going to rebuild our business in this economy. It's okay to say, here's what we're learning. Here's what's working for us. We invite you to be a part of this conversation too. Because I think that that acknowledgement that builds on transparency, that's what we mean when we talk about authenticity, how we bring together our actions and our values. And if we're saying so many new things are important to us, we need to align our actions with with those priorities as well. That's fantastic. We've been talking here with Margot Bloomstein. She's the author of a brand new book that is out now, Trustworthy, How the Smartest Brands Beat Cynicism and Bridge the Trust Gap. So thank you so much, Margot. This is fascinating, and I think it is extremely timely that you get this out there. So I'm glad to have you here and doing this, and we'll look forward to um, to reading the book. Thanks so much, Linda. Okay. Thank you, everybody, and um, thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by L2M Associates. If you'd like to find out how you can improve the return on your investment in marketing programs, processes, or people, contact us at www.l2massociates.com.